0: now from the sunbury motors studio here's steve jones sunbury motors fourth Street in sunbury sunbury motors kia routes 11 and 15 in hummel's wharf time now for our play-by-play call of the day Simmons with the ball, triple double for Ben. He had 11 rebounds in the opening quarter. James Young to catch the shot, the three. No Simmons with another rebound, 16 rebounds, and he tries down the lane and puts it in. Simmons faking a pass, keeping it and scoring it. A spectacular play. Tom McGinnis with the call on the. Sixers Radio Network. I think it was, what, Australia Day or something like that for the Sixers yesterday, wasn't it? And Simmons came up big, right? Perfect timing for a triple-double, huh? All right. Well, let's talk about the Eagles now. Ed's with us? Ed Kras, ready to go.
1: Yeah. Ed, how are you? Great to hear you again. Great to hear you on the other end of the line. Hey, Steve. Thanks again for having me. Love doing doing the program.
0: No, we love having you on the show You know, I I was talking earlier with Greg Bishop from SI you know, And he had just covered the Patriots And I asked him about matchups And you and I both know Ed, how important matchups happen to be So when yeah. you started to really take a look at this What are some things that the Eagles and maybe Eagles fans should take heart in Or maybe they've got a couple of matchups that really do favor them
1: well, it's Fletcher Cox, a defensive tackle who's had just a tremendous playoff series, a great season really, uh, he talked uh, yesterday about the Patriots being a little undersized along that offensive line, uh, which kind of was a surprise. And I guess they do have some you know, some smaller-ish type offensive linemen. That, uh, you know, the Eagles front four, it's really a front eight, the way they rotate players in and keep them fresh throughout the game. I think they can take advantage perhaps of that offensive line uh, and then put some pressure on Brady. I know the Jags did a great job putting pressure on Brady. Brady was, you know, he was terrific. He got up and answered the bell each time and, and led that fourth quarter drive. Uh, but, you know, we have seen Brady in the past, in Super Bowls previously, specifically against the New York Giants, get pressure. Uh, and that really made him very uncomfortable to the point where he wasn't as effective as he normally is. So I think that's the big matchup, if you ask me, that the Eagles need to take advantage of is that one right up front.
0: And what do you think of Timmy Jernigan? How much does he help Fletcher Cox, and what kind of influence can he be because he's been down this road before?
1: Yeah, with Baltimore. The Eagles have had a few players that have won some Super Bowl rings. Um, I don't think Jernigan was one of them, but there were a couple guys, Torrey Smith, 1-1 uh, with the uh, Ravens, of course, from University of Maryland. And then uh, Corey Graham, a safety, he's with the Eagles. He won one with Baltimore. But Jernigan's addition has been very big. The Eagles lost Benny Logan in free agency to the Kansas City Chiefs, um, and they went out and traded for him. And he really helped solidify that front. Now, recently he's had kind of a little bit of an ankle issue. I'm not sure he's been playing at 100%. Uh, Fletcher Cox has been getting the lion's share of snaps. Among those three defensive tackles that the Eagles typically rotate in, uh, while Jernigan and Bo Allen, who's a free agent after this year, uh, he's uh, those two Jernigan and Allen have been kind of splitting uh, the reps between them, while Cox has gotten the lion's share. So you know, I think Jernigan might be a little bit bothered by an ankle injury he suffered late in the year. He he won't admit to it. He hasn't been on the injury report, but to me, he just hasn't really been as effective, uh, you know, with that pass rush as he was. Uh, during the regular season, especially early to mid part of the regular season when he was, you know, just a handful uh, against the run and then pushing the pocket up the middle.
0: What has Malcolm Jenkins' versatility meant for that defense at safety?
1: Uh, Just just amazing, uh, really, because what Jim Schwartz likes to do with Malcolm is uh, bring him down closer to the line of scrimmage when they go into their nickel-and-dime defense. Um, you know, the Eagles lost Jordan their middle linebacker. Uh, a lot of times the Eagles just play with two linebackers on the field. Uh, we saw Najee Good from uh, West Virginia. He was out there for – more than that, just a handful of plays, and he got beat on a touchdown to start that game against the Vikings, and then he only played maybe three or four snaps after that because the Eagles were all able to go into their uh, nickel defense, and in that defense, Malcolm comes close to the line because he's a very physical uh, presence up front. He's almost like a, a kind of an undersized linebacker, but he's got great strength, great instinct, uh, and why the Eagles are able to do that is because of Corey Graham, who I mentioned earlier, getting Graham in at that third safety spot uh, when they move Jenkins inside. They don't miss a beat with Corey Graham, veteran player that they acquired in the offseason who they brought in, and, and they have full confidence in him. So that allows them to put Jenkins a little bit closer to the line in the nickel defense, which the Eagles play an awful lot of.
0: Ed, you and I both know that the stories that have gone around about the Eagles' defense this year is that the other nine guys made up for the corner play during the course of the year. All right, you've watched them. How good actually was the corner play during the year, and what did you think of the corner play in the last month of the year?
1: I, I You know, I think the corner play has been very, very good. Uh, you know, they, they traded for Ronald Darby uh, back in the summer, uh, and he broke his ankle uh, in the opener, and they lost him for half the season. Meanwhile, that gave guys like Russell Douglas a rookie draft pick time to develop. They got Jalen Mills, who has really taken a step up, uh, with his coverage skills, um, when you look at this defense, they've only given up one uh, second-half touchdown in their last four games. They, they've shut teams out in the playoffs in the second half, and you really have to give credit to the secondary because they've gone against some very, very good wide receivers: Julio Jones from Atlanta, of course, Mohamed Sanu, and then the and then the Vikings, Stefan Diggs and uh, uh, Thielen. Uh, And they've shut them down, especially in the second half. I mean, this is a defense that uh, has held opponents to 10 points or less in the last four games. So, uh, you know, you could go up and down that defense and single out somebody, but certainly the secondary gets a big uh, round of applause for doing that.
0: If you were to tell me in July that the Eagles will lose Jason Peters, man, like, no, they're not going to go to the Super Bowl. If you were to tell me in July they're going to lose Carson Wentz, they absolutely are not going to go to the Super Bowl. Well, they lost both those guys. Why yeah. is the offense functioning at the level they're functioning at when two legitimate
1: major stars are out? I think it comes down to the head coach, Steve. I really think Doug Peterson uh, has just done a tremendous job in – in coaching up this team and his staff. You know, you you have to have depth in the NFL. Let's face it, you only have a 53-man roster, and you have to have good, solid depth. But I think Doug Peterson deserves just a a load of credit. And Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator, especially you mentioned Wentz. Let's face it, nobody thought they would go to the Super Bowl when Carson Wentz tore his ACL back on December 10th against the Rams. But what he has been able to do with Nick Foles, and, and going back, he studied every stitch of game tape that Foles ever had in the NFL, and he saw these RPOs that he had some success with, these read-pass option plays that Foles had yep. success with when Chip Kelly was the head coach, and he started to implement some of that. So, I mean, I really think you have to credit Peterson. And then having confidence in Pulavati Vaitai after Peters went down to put the second-year Vitae out at left tackle and say, no, we're not going to move Lane Johnson, our pro Bowl right tackle, to left tackle because we have some tough matchups on that side of the line too. So we're going to have all the faith and confidence in the world that Vitae can hold up and you know what for the most part he has he gets some help on plays but I think just having that confidence and iter- you know, uh, emphasizing that confidence publicly and even privately has helped Vitae kind of uh, adapt to becoming a, a very high quality left tackle so uh, you're right without those two guys you would think no shot at the Super Bowl forget about it but Doug <laughs> Peterson has done a great job in having these guys ready and showing confidence in them
0: I know you touched on some of this in that answer, but what is the difference between Nick Foles that played against the Raiders and the first half against the Cowboys versus the one we saw last Sunday?
1: Comfort level, confidence. You know, let's face it, it's always that next man up mentality in the NFL when one guy gets hurt, the next guy has to be ready. But when you lose a a player like Carson Wentz, who was having an MVP caliber season, this team was stunned. You know, Nick Foles especially. Nick Foles and Carson Wentz are very tight. Um, and then they have to step into that kind of a breach while the team is still kind of reeling from that body blow that they'll never admit publicly it affected them, but it stung. But you know, it, it did sting this team, and it took them a little while to overcome that. So I think that's one thing. I think just kind of the con you know, the, the weeks have gone by. Foles has had to practice uh with the first team. Remember, he didn't have any training camp. He had an elbow issue, hardly practiced at all in training camp all the way back in the summer, and he got very few reps during the season while Wentz was the starter. Uh, So I think getting more time, more practice time. And then I think that bye week, Steve, because they were the number one seed, they had the bye in the first round of the playoffs. That two weeks between the regular season finale against the Cowboys and that first game against Atlanta, that two weeks was huge for Foles and for this team to kind of catch their breath and say, okay, here we are second season, these are our guys, and this is how we're going to implement them.
0: You've not had a full season to see LeGarrette one. And you've had a half season now to really see full-time Jay Ajayi. What's your thoughts on both those guys?
1: I think Legarrett Bond has just been huge, and I, you know, I don't know how many Phillies fans are out there, but I, I've kind of compared him to when the Phillies got Jason Worth in that lineup. <laughs> uh, how it, that presence that he had, and that you know, even off the field presence, and that leadership ability that Worth had, I think, really made the difference for that 2008 Phillies team that won the World Series. And I think LeGarrette Blount reminds me a lot of Jason Worth with those attributes. Uh, he's provided that leadership. And, you know, when they got Jay Ajayi, he could have turned around and pouted and said, you know, I- I'm not going to be happy with 6 to 10 carries. Uh, you know, I want, you know, 12 to 18 carries. But he didn't. You know, he he kept the smile. He kept that leadership, and he showed. It, you know, this is a true team, and, you know, we can't win as individuals. We can only win as a team. So I think you have to give LeGarrette one a ton of credit. And then Jay Ajayi, yeah. uh, you know, he has been the bell cow. You know, they've given him the ball yet. Uh, a big game against the Vikings yardage-wise on the ground. Of course, Nick Holtz, uh stole all the thunder from that game with the game he had. But, you know, Ajayi played a terrific game, too. They're using him more out of the backfield. Um, so I don't know if if Howie Howie Roseman doesn't make that trade for Jaijai, I'm not sure that they're at the in the Super Bowl. He's made that kind of a difference. So really, the two of them, uh, you know, I don't think the Eagles are right where they are right now without either one of them.
0: I know everyone's talked about Aguilar and his comeback season. Alshon Jeffrey's done big things for them, but when you watch Zach Ertz, are we watching a true pros pro out there at tight end?
1: Yeah, well, just, you know, the way he can run routes, um, if you, if you look at any kind of game tape or Google, uh, you know, Zach Ertz and, and route running, I mean, he, he just, uh, he, he can school other teams' secondaries. He, he put a move on Harrison Smith at the end of the first half when the Eagles marched down the, uh, the field for that late field goal, um, to make it 24 to 7 at halftime in the NFC title game. Ertz just put on, you know, he slowed down in his route almost like he was expecting to be thrown the ball. Harrison, Smith bit on that, and and Urch took off up the field. So I mean, his route running to me is what separates him, and uh, you know he wants to be great. Uh, he's talked about it since day one when he got drafted by the Eagles out of Stanford. And uh, you know I, I agree with you. I think he's a pros pro, and I think Brent Selleck, the veteran, has really helped him kind of grow into that role.
0: Yeah. One final question. I'll let you go. I, thanks for the time. This has been great. When we watched Jacksonville last week, and I know that field position played a role in this but in the fourth quarter they weren't as aggressive as they had been the previous three quarters at the end of the first half Doug Peterson in a "hey, we can kneel down and go to the locker room moment went forward and got three points with a great drive and then in the third quarter he refused to take his foot off the gas at all what what does that tell us about Doug Peterson and how he views the game as it is
1: you know, he's really surprised a lot of people with how aggressive he's been. He talks about it, and then he goes out on game day, and he shows it. The Eagles attempted 26 fourth-down plays this year and converted 17 of them. You might think sometimes it's a little unorthodox when he goes for these things, but I think it kind of sends a message to his team that, look, I believe in you. I don't want to take you off the field, you. but, you know, now's the time to earn it, to stay out on that field, and it's in your hands because I'm deciding – we're going for it on fourth down. You mentioned that drive at the end of the first half. They got the ball with, I think, 29 seconds left on the 28-yard line, I think it was. And and I'm saying in the press box, hey, kneel on it. You're up 21-7. You get the ball to start the second half, <laughs> what, just take, be happy with it. And, and no, he, he came out firing. So, um, you know, to me, that aggression is kind of the hallmark of Doug Peterson in these first two years, and he's going to have to maintain that for four quarters against the New England Patriots, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, uh, you know, drive that stake through the heart of the champion Patriots and their awesome quarterback Tom Brady uh, by playing, you know, 45 minutes. You're gonna have to play a full 60 minutes to beat them, and to do that, you have to stay aggressive and, and keep your foot on the gas pedal. And I, and I think that's what gives the Eagles a real good chance in this game because. You know, Peterson has shown that all year long. For the Even last year in his rookie year as a head coach, he showed that. And that's what you have to do to beat this team. So I think in a big moment or a big quarter, like maybe Jacksonville kind of did get a little uh, tentative in the things they were doing, you won't see that. I don't believe from Doug. And I think that's how you have to beat the Patriots. 60 full minutes of aggression, pedal to the metal at all times, and don't back down at all.
0: Absolutely agree with all of that. Hey, it's really great having you back. I appreciate it very much. The insight's tremendous. So's the conversation.
1: Steve, it's my pleasure, really. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Boy, we, he covered a lot of ground, made a lot of great, great points. Great, great points along the way. All right, we'll take a break. Nathan Davis will be with us in the last half hour. We'll come back with more in a moment as we continue from Columbus on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Welcome back. Great to have you with us on the show here in Columbus. I have this beautiful view out my window of the Ohio State football stadium. It's literally across the street from where I am. Okay, uh, so <laughs> like, who booked that? <laughs> oh no! We, this, for 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 basketball, we always stay in this hotel. Yeah. Oh, oh uh, did I ever tell you a travel story in here two years ago with Jack Ham and me? I've not heard. You ever this tell one. you that? I've not heard this one. No. I I don't think anybody. I don't think people further because it, it deals with this hotel. Uh. At least the end of it does. Penn State's playing an 8 o'clock game here in 2015. 8 o'clock at night game. So we're on at 6.30. So Jack drives from Silwickley up to uh, up to Columbus. And we're staying out, um, you know, not here. For basketball, we always stay here. football, we always stay out in the Beltway. So we're out in the b- Beltway, I think in Dublin, something like that. And Jack says to me, he says, hey, you know, know, let's ride in together. I said, okay, sure. He said, yeah, I got my car. I said, okay, great. So what time do you think you ought to go? And I said, I don't know, probably 4 o'clock. You know, we're on at 6.30 traffic, you know. So 4 o'clock we leave. So we're heading down. We go through the back way through Worthington, whatever, because we've been here enough where I know how to pick my way through. And we get to 315, and we take 315 down south. And we get off on 315, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think, like on Lane Avenue or something like that. Well, everything's just bl- blocked and clogged and whatever, and they take us, and they they detour us around the Schottenstein Center to the back of the baseball stadium, and then over, and then past the Jack Nicholas Museum, and they're like I'm oh like, okay, it's taking forever. So now we're back on Lane Avenue. It's like it's like five twenty, and we're you know, So we're on the air in an hour and ten minutes. Now Lane Avenue is literally one street over from the stadium, so that's how close. I mean, the stadium's sitting right there. We can see it. Well, we're crawling inches, and we finally get to the intersection because we're gonna have to go around. And the team buses go by with the police escort. I looked at Jack. I said, that's a bad sign. <laughs> and we're listening to the Michigan-Michigan State game on the radio. We're listening to uh, Jim Brandstetter, and Dan Deerroff. Well, finally, we get around the, the building, bring it around, and then I said, look, we've got to make a right on Woodruff. He goes, okay. So we make the right on Woodruff, and we go down Woodruff. We're okay, we're okay, we're okay until we get to the intersection here where I'm sitting right now. And it's all barricaded and blocked off. You know, I expected that. And it's now 10 after the quarter after, like 10 after 6. It's 10 after 6. Okay they're not too comfortable up in the booth we're getting texts where are you guys <laughs> how many times has, how many times did Roger text you <laughs> he's already been up well, there seven he's already been up there seven hours. God bless him <laughs> Roger's been here since four am we left at four pm uh, so, so 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 the guy he says you can't go down there because our parking lot is actually right next to the stadium that's our lot so you gonna have to go around and i, I I looked at the guy, and I said, the police officer. And I said, officer, we're the Penn State radio broadcast team. He goes, you're the radio network guys. "Uh, Jack Hamp, Steve Jones? I said, yeah. He goes, wow. He says, he yells to the other police officer at the interstate, let him through, it's the radio guys. I said I said I said, Well we're on at six thirty. He goes, No, go ahead. <laughs> we walked in the booth at six twenty-two. <laughs> he took one look at Roger and, and Jeff, said, How you doing? <laughs> uh, and Jeff, Jeff of course, is like, guys, and, you know, and finally uh, Roger was passed out. So I mean <laughs> So he didn't even know what time we got there. <laughs> and, of course, we went on like we'd been in the booth for an hour. Hey, how's everybody doing? Welcome to Columbus. <laughs> Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. The Sunbury Motors Studio is mobile today in Columbus, Ohio, where the Nittany Lions will take on Ohio State tonight, beginning at eight. We're on beginning at 7:30. Joining us, the head coach of uh, the Bucknell Bison. Nathan Davis after the win uh, over Navy last night 87-67 to 67, as Stephen Brown lit it up last night. Coach, welcome. Uh, appreciate the time you're giving us again today.
2: Once again, thanks for having me. Hope you're enjoying Columbus, Ohio.
0: Who wouldn't, Nathan? Who wouldn't? <laughs> Alright. <laughs> 27 points for Stephen Brown last night, including hitting 7 of 9 from 3-point range. Uh, when you look at the kind of player he has developed into because everybody needs to improve their game as they go where's he even a even a little bit better now than he was a year ago at this time when we talked
2: i think he's uh certainly more assertive offensively um he's not shying away from the opportunity to take shots and because of that his score has gone up with the way our team's been playing and who we have a lot of people decided to kind of let him chew a little bit more he's uh embraced that
0: And he embraced the tune of seven of nine last night. Is he the guy that you – there's certain guys that you look at and they have the ability to make everybody around them better. Is that Steven Brown?
2: Oh, there's no doubt about it. He's a dynamic player. He's not. He, he, Everyone understands he's a good player, but he's better than that. He's a, he's a really really outstanding college basketball player. He uh, he can do a little bit of everything offensively. He can control the game and transition, push up the floor. He can make shots. He can create his own shot. He can get other guys involved. So he's a guy that's he's like having a team just because he's willing to do whatever you need to do to win on every single night.
0: First thing I looked at when I, I saw the score from last night from your team is the first thing I noticed was not the 87. It was the 67 I noticed. What did you see on the defensive end that got you through a couple of droughts last night?
2: Well, I thought that uh, something we've been doing really since we lost to Boston University a few weeks ago is just more consistent, uh, focused defensively, doing a better job of understanding personnel who are guarding what we want to make them do. because everyone's going to score. you never, never going to shut on basketball, But you got to make – he's trying to get them to take certain shots that, that you're okay with. And we've done a much better job of that, a much better job of communicating and playing together so that we aren't giving up as many easy baskets. And because of that, you're able to sustain, uh, sustain yourself through some grounds.
0: You played with a lot of focus and purpose last night?
2: Yeah, I thought so. I thought we did uh, we did a really good job moving the ball offensively. Part of why we shot it so well is we got great shots. Um, we were unselfish; no one forced anything, and because of that, we were getting good shots every time down. If we do that, we're going to make shots. And then at the other end, playing playing for each other, calling stuff out, being there to help each other we did a, we did a good job with that. Was it perfect? No, um, we got work to do to get better, but it was it was certainly good enough last night.
0: Uh, Let's talk about Zach Thomas for a moment Because not a foul and had foul trouble in last night's game When you look at Zach Thomas Who's already been a five-time Patriot League Player of the Week guy this year Where's his development In his all-around game Where is that right now?
2: It's very good. I think that, and, and you can just look at last night's Excuse me, last night's line. Form. Um, I think he had 14 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, and and that's as good a game as he's played in his career. I think uh, you can look at that. i will talk about he had 38 a few games ago, and this and that. Um, that is a great game. But I thought, as far as understanding what's going on, um, how they're playing you, and just making the right plays. His impact was tremendous uh, beyond the points. He was getting other guys involved. He was scoring many opportunities, and he was, he was doing a great job rebounding for us, too. So his all-around game was just at a high level.
0: Just one of those nights for Nano in terms of foul trouble, or does he have to make an adjustment or two in his game <clears throat> on nights like that?
2: I think he got um, – there was one foul we talked about when he got a second foul in the first half, was he really did a new deal after the ball, I and mean, it was – it was kind of a fifty-fifty thing, but at the point, at that point, where you have a foul, it's more important that you're out there than actually you come up with that ball. Uh, I'm not sure that was necessary, but at the same time, it's going to happen from time to time. I don't know that anyone's ever gone through an entire year with getting it, without getting in foul trouble. Um, he's done a good job with that. We'd like to have had him on the floor more in the first half, um, but it kind of is the way it goes. Sometimes it's great to see Nate Sestina and Paul Newman, so like guys step up and play well when we needed them.
0: Toomer came off the bench last night, he had ten points for you. Uh what kind of juice does he give you and where are his primary contributions that you like that's making your team better?
2: Well I think the the first thing is kind of just kind of is one of those things that doesn't necessarily show up in the stats is that um when you've had a success that we've had with him on the floor in the past, is there just a certain comfort level and a trust that comes when he's on the floor from everybody? Um he makes good decisions, he knows where to be, he uh, does a good job defensively, but there's just a trust where no one hesitates, they see him open and he just gets the ball immediately, but the other thing he's done, uh, besides being our best perimeter defender, Bruce Ward's done really well out that year. It's come on, but but Obby's been our best perimeter defender over the last couple of years is having him back as another body to throw with good perimeter players. And then you add to it that he's making shots. Um, he did last year about 36% from three last year. He's over 40 now for the year. This year. So it's another guy on the perimeter you got to respect and hopes, hopes open up. it'll help open up stuff for other guys in the lane.
0: Your defensive effective field goal percentage is 43.8%. Now, I know you'd like to get that down to 40 if if you could. But what are you seeing in conference play when the, the, the guarding is a bit tighter that's allowing your team to play tight defense but also not foul as often?
2: Well, I think the thing that we've done a good job of is we have good size, and our guys are starting to understand body positioning a little bit better. Um, we've certainly done a better job, I think, of, of teaching it. I guess they've done a, a great job of understanding it and cutting off angles where we want to force guys being places early, so we're not recovering late, and then when we are, being extended when you're when Bruce Moore started to throw in six eight and Zach six seven and nine six. Six ten and go right down the line. We've got good size, so can, As long as they go vertical, we can bottle our shots in lane.
0: All right. Then uh, another part, and especially the two point percentage has been outstanding for you defensively along the way. Uh, are you are you getting out of the free throw line what you hoped? Because usually things are going pretty well. You're going to get more free throw attempts than the other team has makes. Is that about the pattern you're seeing right now? Because your team is playing so well.
2: Yeah, we've done a we've done a very good job with that, especially in league play. I think I haven't seen the uh updated just league staff but going into I think it was this week we actually were right about more made free throws than opponents are in league play. And if if we can get to the point where we're consistently holding teams under forty percent from the floor, we're consistently holding teams under thirty percent from the free throw from the three point line and we're making more free throws than the our opponents take, uh, it's gonna be hard to beat us.
0: Yeah, and, and that comes down to style of play. Did you make any adjustments, Nathan, in the off season looking at style of play? And they may have been just subtle ones here and there to create what you're seeing to get your team to the free throw line more.
2: Um, no, we've always just really emphasized uh, getting paint touches. And if you can get paint touches and put pressure on the defense, you can, you can, especially with, like, not a foul, and those guys in, they draw a lot of attention. But if you can do that, you can attack long out. You can get deep position where you're going to get fouled. Um, and I think the biggest thing, honestly, is that the other end of the four, going back to being better defensively, is so we've done a much better job with communication. So we're not late. Anymore, and a lot of fouls come from being late. And so, because we're not late in rotations, uh, we're not in a position where we're having to hand check as much as we're getting ripped by and beat. It's, it's kept opponents off the foul line too, and that, as much as anything, has been what's kind of allowed the uh, free throw discrepancy to take off for us.
0: Yep, yeah, because Zach Thomas is what sixth in the nation in fouls drawn. I mean, he, 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 right. I mean, he's drawing eight point four fouls a game.
2: Yeah, I believe about a week ago he was first in, like, 3 throw shooting <laughs> as far as the temperature yeah. like and going. Um so going. So, yeah, I know he does. He, and, and that shouldn't look like that. He's just got a knack for scoring, where if he's not making shots, he, but he is making shots. He's not the way to get in the lane, and he, he draws fouls. So I wish I could teach everyone to do that, um, but he's just got a knack for it.
0: Well, let's talk about Boston University for a moment, because you have them coming up on, on Sunday. And, obviously, you know, I think everybody knows – that's the one that, that that got away in the conference so far. What makes them a really good team?
2: Well I think first off is, is they've got good size too. Um, they get they're a little younger but they've got guards. I mean they can come at you with, with kind of six three, six four, six six, six eight, six nine, so they've got they've got good size and they'll they play a lot of two three zone. Um, and when you have size in a two three zone that certainly helps. On the offensive end, they can they have a, a couple guys that score in the post, but they can also make threes. They shoot the three at a high rate that spread you out and, uh, and put pressure on your defense that way. And that's what's uh, – we didn't play very well, but, but I think you got to give them a lot of credit for the way they came here and played and they, they made us – they forced us some mistakes. Um, we got to be better. If we go out there and play well on Sunday, we'll have a great opportunity. If not, we're going to be in trouble.
0: Does pace of game enter into this game, considering the pace that they prefer to play at?
2: Actually, a good and interesting thing is is they do play. I think they're number three in the league in pace of play, Um, so they're not they are opportunities to get out in transition. If we do our a job defensively and we can uh, force them to take tough shots and get some rebounds, look we'll at the pace, where we want. We're, we're so many at our best when we are attacking in transition. And uh, it's always easier to get out in transition when we're getting stops and getting turnovers and things like that than always taking out the net. So we we'll to do a good job defensively of being disciplined, forcing them to take tough shots, and let them the one-shots so we can get it and go, and then turn it into a situation where they are on their heels all game. <laughs>
0: Finally, I'll ask you this question. You know, When you face a, a team, for example, like Wisconsin, and I don't care what year it happens to be, they seem to have the ability, regardless of the opponent, I don't care if they're playing Michigan State or Penn State, to end up making everybody play their kind of game, slow it down, long possessions, things like that. Have you been able, for the most part, been able to kind of dictate the tempo, dictate the terms in a game for the most part?
2: I think for the most part, we've done a good job obviously it's, it's easy to slow a game down and so when you play when we play teams like Holy Cross and American that are in the bottom five or ten in the country in pace of play it's not going to be the 80 percent game we want, but we've been able to get it to where it's in the high 60s or low 70s, which is faster than they want so um that's been to our advantage but I think again so much it comes down to it, you got to understand that that they're going to take 30 seconds almost every time down what you got to do is make sure that they don't get a rebound and get it where they got it for a minute. And, uh, and understand that you can't let ball into a, a trap where because they're walking up easy clock where you're walking up, and that's where it really gets away from you. With the Shot clock at 30 seconds, if, if you can push it up and be aggressive in transition but be smart and, and get good shots, the, the pace is going to be a little quicker than it was five, six years ago.
0: Really appreciate your time. Best of luck against BU coming up.
2: Thanks. Enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of Ohio State. Chris Holman does a great job. <laughs> as we experienced yeah, firsthand last Hol-
0: year. <laughs> uh, yeah, you do know because of what at Butler, but you know, he is a really good coach. He's done a good job with this group. Yes, he does. Thanks, so, Nathan. Enjoy. Safe travel. Thanks. Appreciate it. Nathan Davis will wrap up the show from Columbus in a moment as we continue on News Radio ten seventy WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Yep. Guess who's ranked 16th in the nation in offensive efficiency? Guess which player? Okay, there are about 4,000 players in Division I college basketball. Uh, what is it? 351 teams. Let's say. Let's just do this conservatively. Let's go. Um, let's go 351 times. Let's just do. 13 scholarship players. 4,560. So there's 4,500 college basketball players out there in the country. Guess who's ranked 16th of the nation in offensive efficiency? Well, since we just oh. had Bucknell had No, it's not a Bucknell player. Okay. No, it is not a Bucknell. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. No. Hmm. This player is ranked 16th. Out of 4,500 players in offensive efficiency. Big Ten Conference player? Absolutely. Penn State player? Absolutely. Okay. Mike Watkins? He's 193. Okay. Which is second on the team. Josh Reeves? Wow. Wow. That's what you're missing. Who's 15th in the nation in steal percentage? Josh Reeves. I mean, that's been the killer for them along the way of a guy like this who is, I mean, his numbers are fabulous. Uh, And and what he means, he's, I mean, 4,500 players. In Division One basketball. He's 16th in offensive efficiency. Mike Watkins is next at 193. Watkins is also 10th in the Big Ten in that department. And Watkins is also 6th in the nation in uh, defensive rebound percentage. 14th in the nation in two-point percentage. So, you know, I mean... You want to talk about what you've been missing? That's a big component to miss when you've got a guy that is 16th in the nation in offensive efficiency. 16. So, and we'll see about tonight. Yeah. But you're looking at and now. Let's take a look at, at Ohio State. Ohio State's got a lot going for it. Kata Bates-Diop has had a phenomenal year. Phenomenal year. Um, he is the fifth-rated overall player uh, in the country for Kem Palm in terms of his national rank on just pure players. Um, interesting, though. Like, let's take his um, his offensive rating. He's still three hundred twenty-second in the country in offensive rank ranking, which is interesting. Uh, he's had a great year. He's fourteenth in the Big Ten in offensive ranking, uh, but you know, you're talking about a you know, one problem he does have is he does turn the ball over a little bit too much. But you know, he's he's 19th in the conference in three-point percentage. He's 19th in the conference in two-point percentage. All right, he's uh, 10th in free throw percentage. Only missed six in the conference so far. He's third in defensive rebounding percentage. Second in the conference in 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 percent of shots taken. Nationally, he's 48th in defensive rebound. He's just had a really good year. He's ranked in the top 350 in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 categories. And Dave Stiop's a really, really, really good player. He's meant so much to them, so much. And uh, Redshirt Jr., and he's, you know, now, there's word that, you know, we talk, I just talked about Josh. We don't know about Josh's status for tonight yet. Uh, but Bates Diop evidently has been sick this week, so I don't know. Um, we'll find out. It's the second game of a four-game homestand for Ohio State. <laughs> That's interesting. I was, doing, I was doing a little work, uh, just a little additional work, on, um, on what we talked about yesterday, Sean, that we're dealing with, uh, you know, could leagues take a 1% cut of, of sports betting in this country if the Supreme Court rules in favor of New Jersey in the spring? Uh, so we're waiting to see about that. Pennsylvania has 12 gambling casinos in the state. Now, I, I had to look it up because I wasn't sure. I thought the number was seven. I guess it's 12. And they also, because of the bill that Governor Wolf signed in late October, they can now set up satellite sites, like even at truck stops. Online gambling is allowed, as well. What kind of economic boon might it be for the states to have sportsbook available? That's something you have to wonder here, because that's why New Jersey's doing it. I'm that's kind of the, New Jersey.
1: I, I, I'm kind of the point where it's only a matter of time whether it's five years, ten years. I mean, there's
0: various places. Uh, yeah, you know, like Elk's Lodges, Sons of Italy's, and even some places where you can purchase tobacco products where you see uh video slots. Yeah, no, yeah. and I think you're right about that. Pennsylvania is actually second to Nevada in state revenue from um uh, from gaming. Uh which is which is interesting as well. But if they allow sportsbook now, there'll be obviously a boom for it. But remember, too, does it also mean that instead of going to the racetrack and going to the casino, you just want to play sportsbook? So one takes away one but gives to the other? Do you maybe play the lottery less uh, as opposed to, I mean, or, or you just may do everything you've been doing and you've added sportsbook yet? I don't know. That, that's part of the guessing game on that. The 1% part, boy, the NFL would make so much money from that on 1% even more so than the NBA. Now, the NBA and Major League Baseball executives did meet with Indiana about their legislation. Now, something that, that they're concerned about, though, is that I think they'd like to regulate it through the states in such a way where you have better control over prop bets. Uh, you, know, you know, first guy to commit a foul in a game, first guy to hit a shot, you know you know what I mean, things like that. Well, I think they'd have, like to have a little more control over prop bets, uh but in terms of the game bet- betting uh again if the supreme court rules in favor of new jersey i expect that state laws i expect that state legislatures will kick this into another gear today's show brought to you by sunbury motors Fourth Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Tonight, the Nittany Lions take on Ohio State at Value City Arena, A.K.A. the Shot. That'll be at eight o'clock tonight. We're on, beginning at seven thirty. Picks coming up tomorrow. Which way do I go? AFC or NFC in the Pro Bowl? I better get working on that tonight. Maybe not. (laughs) I had no idea he was even in the game.
1: (laughs) You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.